Man, that worship before before was just amazing, and, and thinking about that, uh, God makes beautiful things out of dust and out of chaos, and, and brings all of these things called our lives together and does a master, masterful work uh, in our lives. It's quite an amazing thing when you start thinking about all that God's done in your life. Just take a second and, and kind of think about where you were before Christ intervened and, and invaded your soul for the first time. Maybe... Maybe you came from a real rough upbringing. Uh, maybe you've suffered a lot. Maybe you've came to a place of hopelessness or contemplated suicide or just felt like I'm lost. I'm one of millions of people and I don't matter that much. Or maybe just you came from a great Christian home and, and you were raised in the knowledge and understanding of Jesus and, and you're just grateful for that, as you should be, that your parents were faithful to, to raise you in the Lord. Uh, those things, when you think about how God's intervened in your life, kind of at first does a couple things. It kind of does a humbling work uh, in all of us, right? Humbles you to think, why do I uh, have the attention of the eternal Father who has never done anything wrong, in fact, does everything right, is totally pure, um, and yet took the time to notice me? Um, and we're going to look today and not just notice you, but go to the ultimate to rescue you and to save you and to change your life and to bring a beautiful thing in your life through dust, so to speak, because we're all made of dust. But when you think about what Christ has done, it humbles you. It also makes you very grateful. That's why we're told to be thankful throughout the whole Bible, pretty much, is just thank God. Be thankful. Rejoice in the fact that you've been noticed and saved and also, it, it makes us bold, makes us humble, makes us thankful, makes us bold. Bold in what way? Bold in the sense that we get to tell this amazing story, that there really is purpose to life, that there really is a, 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 an eternity that matters and that all of us will meet that goes beyond matter and form and what we see, that there's actually a, a place of protection and refuge for your hurting soul and for your questions, someone to go to that actually has answers. All that in Christ makes you humble, makes you thankful, makes you bold, among other things, right? But as I come together, or as we come together this morning, the, the passage we're looking at is one of great importance. It has been for 2,000 years. Um, it has great magnitude as far as the truth therein. And, and basically reducing it down to this, it's all about the title of the, of the series, which is Christ Overall. Christ is elevated to the top of the heights of elevation in this passage, chapter 1 of Colossians. It is an unbelievable endeavor to teach on. And I'm very humbled, I'm very thankful, and I'm going to be hopefully very bold today um, in talking about this passage. But the, the thought I had going into it, and actually Pastor Brian and I were talking in we actually got the same independently. We got the same kind of impression that, for me, it was described in this way. When you come to this passage of Colossians chapter 1, we're looking at 13 through 20, not just 15 through 20, but 13 through 20. Um, for me, it's basically, I'll give you this kind of analogy. For me, it's like being at the bottom of Mount Everest. I've never been to Mount Everest. I know some people that have. But if I was at base camp and I'm looking up at Mount Everest and I'm thinking, great, I'm going to hike that thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. I'm going to go into minimal oxygen levels, and I'm going to push my body to the limit, and I'm going to go up there. But all of a sudden, somebody taps me on the shoulder and says, uh, you're going to be the tour guide 
for this journey for this group of people. And that's how I feel about this. Only Christ is the Mount Everest. And it's like, oh my goodness, who am I to come and approach such an amazing passage such as this and actually be a tour guide for you guys, if you will, to what's included in this description of Christ. But we're going to endeavor together, okay? So uh, everybody have your oxygen tanks? I'll, I'll say, do you have your coffee? You're alert. You brought your thinking caps as well as your devotion, your heart. It's ready. It's open. If you're visiting with us and, you, and you're really new to Christ, man, you picked a great, well, I think God picked it, but you picked a great Sunday to come to be introduced to the Savior that we have. So let's read it together, shall we? Colossians 1, 13 through 20. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Things, all things were created through him and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him, Jesus, all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Why don't we pray? Lord God, thank you for this amazing passage, this glimpse of Mount Everest, but in the spiritual realm, in the, in the practical realm, so much greater of you, of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the eternal one, prophesied to come in perfect timing to save mankind from their sin. And God, we are humbled today. We are very thankful today. We are very bold today in a humble and thankful way to be able to say that you are mine, that I am yours. God, we're humbled to say that. We're not prideful. Break our pride, Lord. Every ounce of it, God, break us from it. Because, Lord, to be the recipient of a free gift has no room for boasting. So God, as this description is so mighty, so big, so incredibly life-changing, will you please speak through your word? Will you, will you please put yourself on that highest pedestal that we might come in a rightful place and humble ourselves, bowing down before that risen Savior, our King, our great and amazing God. May you glorify your name this morning. And we ask it in Christ's name together. And everybody say, amen. 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 All right. Just wanted to review a couple of things. I'll just take a look at the map. Just practically, you know, the Bible's great in that it is a book, particularly the New Testament and the Old Testament, though, that is steeped in historical facts. Historical facts. One of it is, where was this church? Was it a real church? Yeah, 2,000 year ago, years ago, it indeed was a real church right there in modern-day Turkey, and you can see the map up there for you. 
convenience. 2,000 years ago, what was going on? Well, the Colossian church, as Brian pointed out the first week, um, basically some important facts was that Paul really had a heart for, these, for this church. He had heard of their faith and how they were growing in their faith and how Jesus had become their king. And it was a mixture of people in this church, Jews that had become Messianic Jews at this point, people that were Greeks, people that were philosophers, people that said, I have a certain kind of knowledge that is unattainable to others. Um, I have hidden mysteries that I've uh, come across and therefore are superior than you. There were people that would say, hey, in order to be a true Christian, a true follower of God, a true loved one by the Lord, you have to, uh, you have to be a person that's about the laws and the requirements of the Jewish faith that is outlined by Moses and his law. There's no way you can discount that and say grace is completely free unless you do something, right? Um, There were Gnostics. Gnosticism was second or third century, but the origins were right steeped in this church. It was flowing through some of the water wells, if you will, philosophically speaking, that that would say something like this, that that of hidden things, it means hidden, hidden knowledge, were, were reserved or was reserved for only a select few. And Paul, as he's writing from prison, he has tons of truth to refute these things. You guys, anybody, the gospel is open to everyone, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of, of economic status, regardless of cultural background. All these things, Christ is open and available and I, and I have a feeling that's partly why Christ died the way he did with his arms outstretched either direction. It was an open invitation to come. And yet people were coming in just 20, 30 years after that amazing invitation and saying, that's not enough. You have to do this, that, and the other in order for God to notice you, rescue you, and be king of your life. So Paul, obviously, if he's going to get heated about something, it's about those things, right? Right? If Paul's going to refute something, he's going to come across very boldly against those things. One of the main things, though, that people would say that Paul would get very, very heated against was that Jesus was somehow not God. And, and by and large, does that sound familiar in this day and time? Of course it does. Jesus was a good moral teacher. Jesus had a great things to say. He was a great uh, spiritual guide. He's one of many. There are many options to God. There's ways that you can choose that are numerous up Mount Everest. You're going to get to the top regardless of which way you choose. And many of us have either believed that or may even believe that today, that pretty much all religions kind of get you to the same destination. Um, if, if I say my wife is windy on one side, and I, on the other, uh, you know, second later I say my wife is Janet, you would say there's not two at the same time. She's either windy or she's Janet. But you can't say she's windy and Janet, Right? I can't say God exists and God doesn't exist or God's attainable and knowable or God's not attainable and knowable to all. You can't say that force is God or that if you study Hinduism at all, for example, we're not even talking about God. We're talking about many gods and they're not even really gods and they wear masks and they aren't even who they claim to be on the surface at all. There's thousands in, 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 a, in a plethora of of. of Deities. I can't even say that with meaning the full word of that. So if you're, if, you're, if you're Paul, you're getting heated about these different things, and we run into the same philosophical challenges today, but they're really simplified in this, that Jesus isn't just a good guy. 
In fact, Jesus, I think in many ways, for the reason he would say, and not leaving this open, of you can just have me around, kind of pull up a chair in your living room, so to speak, and say, Jesus, have a seat while we watch horror flicks and porn. You just can't incorporate them into your life, however your life is set, and say, Jesus, be welcome here. It's like, no, when, when the, as we're going to read, as we just did in our passage, if you're going to have Jesus come into your living room, who does the changing? Jesus or the person that's hosting the King of Kings? You see what I mean? So you can't have Wendy is my wife and Janet is my wife. You can't have there is no God and there is God and he is knowable. There's just, it's not, it's, it, they're mutually exclusive. So this trip up Mount Everest, if you, if you will, is something that Paul was incorporating in his letters to these churches to refute, clearly refute. And guys, as we go on in this rapidly changing culture, the question again and again is going to come up with, or going to come up again is, do you really believe that Jesus is unique and is who he says he is? as the Bible, the scriptures proclaim him to be. He was, the word was with God, the word was God. Not the word was an option, and however you want to make him, make him. You with me? We adjust to big truth. Truth on itself stands secure. Our sincerity, our approach to that truth really does nothing. You walk on the top of this roof, and you walk off the edge of the roof, you could be sincerely deceived to say you're going to float, not crash. Okay? That's what we're talking about. That's what Paul is talking about. So we're looking at this morning the complete supremacy and utter sufficiency of Christ, unlike any other who's ever walked the face of the earth. So Christ over all, the name of of this series for a good reason. This morning, I want to take this passage, I want to break it down and answer one question. Christ is over all. Why? Okay, why? What is it about him that makes him who he is over all? Number one, using just these few verses. By the way, this particular 15 through 20 um, is, uh, comes from what many believe is an early hymn of the church. And I think for very good reason, obviously, it's basically, it's in its fundamentals, very uh, easily quotable. It's obviously full of truth that would guide their lives and be handy to memorize in terms of song. I think uh, in terms of worship songs, you can't go wrong with the scriptures, right? What came first, the chicken or the egg? Rather, if, if Paul drew on this kind of early church hymn and wrote it in the letter as such, doesn't matter to me. Or if what he wrote became a hymn, doesn't matter to me. It's truth. Truth, again, stands on its own. But at any rate, number one, Christ rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and from Satan. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. The power of darkness is also described when they came to arrest Jesus. And Jesus was allowing it to happen. And he was basically referring to the kingdom of, of darkness is here and I'm allowing it to be so. I'm allowing myself to be arrested. And you can find that in the Gospels. But he says, he 
Jesus, or the Father, has delivered us from the power of darkness. Guys, there's two powers at work. There's one of the Lord, and there's one of darkness. It's not a, it's not a trip to Disneyland and only that through this life. We're all aware of that, right? Brian, Pastor Brian was up. He was talking about you could, you, your own existence shouts the fact that darkness is a real thing, that there's a real battle for our souls, and they're not just kind of benign existence for any one of us that live, that there's actually a power of darkness. Those demonic forces that rage war against your soul, that hate your soul, that want you to be deceived into thinking that either A, you're good enough on your own merit for God to accept, or that God isn't who he says he is, or a combination they're in, right? But he rescued us. That word rescue is literally like you've been just that, rescued. You've been rescued. You needed rescuing. Self-sufficiency is completely thrown out the window. Amen? Self-sufficiency is stamped out by the cross. You cannot, by definition, have self-sufficiency and come to the cross of Christ and have the two remain intact. One has to go. What goes? Our self-sufficiency. What do I mean by self-sufficiency? Is this. Simply, you are good enough to approach the cross on your own works and merit therein. Anyone raise your hand if you're perfect, if you've lived a perfect moral life to this point. Except for Vicky, who Gunther was trying to raise her hand. That's a good sign, by the way, because you're married to her. So that's awesome. I actually dated my wife. For a year, and I remember praying at a year's time, Lord, it's been a year. I know she has sinned because you tell me in your word that she does, but I don't know where it's at. Why are you laughing? You guys know Wendy. She's awesome. No, obviously I found that out to be not true. She actually um, doesn't like me to share her cereal, so I felt like that was number one on my list when I found that out. She's perfect, right? But for the rest of us, besides my wife and Vicky, two people, just kidding, um, none of us are perfect. That's the only status by which you can approach a perfect God is perfect. You can't approach a perfect God and say, ah, I missed one. Uh, I lusted. I cheated. I stole. I fudged a few numbers. I hated. Um, I coveted. I really wanted which. That what I, I wasn't provided for by you. There's a few um, near misses, if you will. You can't approach God in that way. So your self-sufficiency goes out the window. He has rescued you. You are in peril. You are facing eternal judgment, and he came. As you are under the control of, whether you knew it or not, and maybe you're here today and you're not sure that Jesus is your Savior, may I tell you with all sobriety in my soul and my heart right now, you are under the control and the impressions to the point where you don't even realize how much your life is being come against by those demonic forces of the enemy, who in his own heart turned away from the living God, Satan himself, and said, I will be like God. But it's not going to be because I'm coming on his requirements, but because I'm great. Boy, that, they just don't, they, they repel against each other, right? Opposite poles, plus and minus being repelled against each other, sin and the holy God never come comfortably together. And Satan was cast out. So he rescued us. Now, check that out. The, the 
the second part of that scripture. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us in the kingdom of the son of his love. Get this, you guys. This is a term that if you were a conquering king and you came through with your army and you bulldozed the other army and you took the spoils, we were taken as the spoils. We were conveyed into the kingdom of the son of his love. Father had ordained it for us to have the enemy ransacked, his head crushed, so that we, the spoil, the treasure that he set his heart upon and went to the cross for, he could basically pick us up as spoil and bring us into relationship with him. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's amazing. A guy who knew this very well is John Newton. You guys know John Newton? Everybody knows the song, guaranteed, Amazing Grace. He wrote that, right? Okay, put up that next slide, if you will. He was in the 1700s into the early 1800s, and he was an English Anglican uh, gentleman who you guys are probably familiar with the, with the story of him or seen Amazing Grace, a movie about uh, um, William Force, Force Guy. Thank you. You guys all saw it. Real guys involved in the slave trade. It's actually lesser known that John Newton was actually very much treated as a slave for a good 15 months um, on ships. He was treated horribly. He would go days without really anything but just a little bit of rice and water. And he was basically hated by the, the captain of the ship. He happened to be on a merchant ship after he was in the Navy. He hated the Navy. He was British. He wanted to get out. He jets to another boat that happened to come by. And it happened to be that the master of that ship was very evil, very hurtful towards him in particular. And then it was basically he was in slavery. I mean, so he, he knew both the slavery, being the recipient of slavery, and he also knew as, a, as involved in, later on as a slave trade, captain of the ship. And, of course, we know the story as he got saved. He humbled himself before God, and he actually wrote some incredible words, 300 hymns plus. And here are a few. The, the first slide there, uh, these are stanzas, but not from the same song, a few different ones. But listen to these. By nature, how depraved, how prone to every ill, their lives to Satan, how enslaved, how obstinate their will. Satan reigns and keeps his goods in peace. The soul is pleased to wear his chains, nor wishes a release. Elsewhere he writes, Jesus being stronger far than he in his appointed hour appears to set his people free from the usurper's power. And then he also says, he sees us willing slaves to sin and Satan's power, but with an outstretched arm he saves in his appointed hour. He knew the devastating effects of slavery. And he knew that the way you were brought out of slavery is that you were bought. Guys, we were all in slavery to the wrong slave master. We were all in chains, and we loved them. We didn't really love them if you broke it down, but we really love them, don't we? But we still feel the effects of that brokenness in those chains and still don't know a way out of those chains until somebody comes and pays a price for you as a slave and says, I love you. You're broken. You're hurting. There's no value in you, really. You've totally turned your back on me, but I've come to purchase you. That's what Christ did. He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness by purchasing uh, so we're going to get into more of that. Powerful, life-changing truth. Look at this next slide. 
This is one song in particular. He says, Beneath the tyrant Satan's yoke, our souls were long oppressed, till grace our galing fetters broke, galling fetters broke and gave the weary rest. Jesus, in that important hour, his mighty arm made known, he ransomed us by price and power and claimed us for his own. Now freed from bondage, sin, and death, we walk in wisdom's ways and wish to spend our every breath in wonder, love, and praise. Ere long, we hope with him to dwell in yonder world above, and now we only live to tell the riches of his love. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. He became a huge force against slavery and used his life to spread the gospel as a priest. Amazing. Number two, why is Christ overall? He redeemed us with his blood on the cross, verse 14 and 20. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And if you jump to 20, he says, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether on things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. If you take the the need for Jesus out, the cross is meaningless. In fact, it's kind of insulting. But if there's a real price to be paid because God requires that there be blood spilled for the forgiveness of sins, as demonstrated by years and years and years and years, still to this day, devout Jewish people know that there is requirement for forgiveness of sin. It comes to the sacrifice. The sacrificial lamb is the demonstration on display of God prior to Christ's, Christ's cross that says the only way forgiveness of sin occurs is because someone dies and blood is shed. The problem with animals is it's not sufficient to cover our soul's need or needs for forgiveness. And it was done every year as the writer of Hebrews displays in his work. If you read about at any length of time, spend any length of time in Hebrews, you find out real quick the author's intention is for you to understand that Jesus came as the complete and all-sufficient sacrifice for you, unlike, right, the animal sacrifices that occurred every year because they never satisfied the requirements of the law. They were never meant to. They were just meant to point you to the future lamb of God that would come, that would give of his own blood, and then we wouldn't have, guess what, any need for sacrificing animals again because the real replaces the preview. The substance replaces the the preview. Amen? So, he has redeemed us with his blood on the cross. Can you imagine? We can, we can I mean, I, I've, I've raised my kids in the Lord. Um, my, my oldest is a senior now in high school. And sometimes I worry about he becoming too familiar with the fact of why did Jesus die? Well, he died for our sins. Like, I, I even knew that when I was growing up. Didn't have a relationship with the Lord, so to speak. But I knew Jesus, why Jesus died. I just remember reciting that. Jesus died because of my sins, right? Died for my sins. That becomes so familiar to us that we forget the power of that. Who died? If you forget, this is just, this is just Christian discipleship 101, I guess, that's so vital for all of us. If you forget, God, the, don't let me get so uh, used to the gospel is if I could hear it a million times and not be impacted by it. But reading this about who Jesus is, he's an image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. All things were created by him. All things hold together by him. Uh, he is a firstborn uh, out of the grave. He's going to have eternity waiting for all those kind of things. When you think about those things and you think of he died on a cross, that's not how the story is supposed to end. 
So if your soul's kind of stuck in this kind of rut or you're, you're, you're uh, just kind of hurt it where it becomes so familiar that you kind of lose the power of it, Colossians is a great uh, source of ammunition against that blasé, right? Against that, oh, I, I know that, you know. I'll get the answer on the test right, but it has no power. If you remember who it is that died on the cross, then you have a lot more arsenal towards passionate worship. And now you're seeing things like you make beautiful things, but when it's like this is who made it possible for this beauty to come forth, there's a lot more power in your worship. Okay? Christ is overall why. Christ is God, the third one. Verse 15, it says 14 up there. It's 15 actually, 19 and 2.9. Okay, Christ is God. This image, this word image, he is the image of the invisible. If God is invisible, if he is spirit, Christ has made him known. Not that they're unknown like Gnostics philosophers would say, but that he's knowable because you can look at Christ. In this word image, um, icon is actually the Greek word, and you would get the icon copiers, you know, from that, from that word. It means image, but it's actually expressed in two main ideas. One is the likeness, like an image, a picture, a coin, of the reflection in your mirror, but it's also a manifestation. But it also incorporates uh, for us is a prototype. Not just a picture, but a prototype. A prototype's different. You have a prototype and you have uh, something that comes after it that's made in its exact likeness, right? It's, it's actually you have the original and you have the, the one that comes after and they're identical. It's not just that Jesus is a good teacher again. It's not that Jesus had good things to say. It's not that he's a good moral guide. It's saying he is God. John 1, he was with God and he was God. He was with God in the beginning. Later on he says, and the word became flesh. And what? Dwelt, lived, ate food, traveled around by foot, healed people, touched them. People were really impacted. Lives changed. Gospel spread through their testimonies. Real invasion of time and space. Jesus is God. He does not leave room. The Bible, may I I say, the Bible does not leave room for Jesus to be just merely a guide book. He is the truth, the life, the way. He is the, with the capital T, You don't put little t before Christ. You put the Christ, the anointed one, the one prophesied to come to save us from our sins. Amen? That that is, I'll take that for for him because he is so big. Number four, Christ is preeminent. Verses 15, 17, and 18. The firstborn here, it doesn't mean he was born first, like my son Mitchell is not uh, in the same likens of this. It's not firstborn as far as order, like he was born first. It is prototokos, which is really a term that specifically means it's priority, it's a ranking, it's a place of role, it's a supremacy in rank. He was firstborn means he is the heir, he is the one who is the most treasured, he is the highest of the highest. It's a place that you fill, it's not the order of your birth. You with me? Preeminence here is what Christ is saying. There's no one greater. There's no one higher. There's no one more pure. There's no one more loved by the Father. It's Christ, Christ, Christ. He is number one, head honcho, big cheese. Okay? 
Christ, number five, Christ created everything. Everything visible and everything invisible. Read uh, 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. I was reading um, some different commentaries, and one of them was making reference to the fact that Paul makes reference to these um, principalities and powers. And again, those are those demonic forces that come against our souls to keep us away from the truth that are at work in this world to bring destruction and pain and whatnot. And he was like, you know, why would Paul emphasize those things out of a whole list of things he could have emphasized right after that statement of everything was made by him, even these things that come against us? And it was basically well put. He just says, hey, if, if Paul points out the fact that, that Christ has done the finished work, if he's really rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and the very... I guess, biggest on the list adversaries to your soul had been conquered in that cross of Christ, then uh, you have nothing to worry about, basically. Okay? If your main adversary has been van- vanquished and, and conquered, then the other things in our lives don't, I mean, comparison, don't really matter. All of a sudden, uh, and this is what comes to mind, a gun to my head doesn't, doesn't it's not as big compared to a demon right next to me, who hates me, and who's seething at the mouth, you know, so to speak. So he's saying, God has done this in Christ to rescue us, and he's done it, and he's actually the creator of all things, even things that have turned evil. Not that he made them evil, but they rebelled by their own uh, pride, okay, and set them up uh, selves opposed to their creator. He created those things too, and guess what? They're all being brought together in the wisdom and plan of God to the point if they're going to work on his behalf to accomplish his glory, even though that's the worst thing they would want to have happen. Right? Does that make sense? I don't know if I explained that very well, but I'm hoping that 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 came out the way it was supposed to. (laughs) The way it was supposed to. Christ is overall. Why? Number six, everything made exists for him. Oh, this is so freeing. Everything that you are, everything that you have, everything that he's given you is for him. It is so freeing when you think of it in these terms that the one who everything is for, whether visible or invisible, it's all for his glory. What it frees you to do is live not for yourself, and that is such a gift. Is it not a gift to be able to live for others instead of yourself? Man, I'm a Christian, and I still struggle with serving myself, right? Jesus says, I'm going to lead the way, and you're going to see that it's really true to be greatest in my kingdom is to be slave of all. I'm going to wash the feet so that you can take that that example and, and, and replicate it and duplicate it in your life, that there's actually a bigger thing going on than just you. When you have little ones at the earliest of ages, the biggest challenge is to change their worldview from everything revolves around my satisfaction and my needs, and, and I mean immediately, mom, dad, you got to move. I'm hungry, or I'm cranky, or whatever, you know, I need a nap, you know. And from the earliest of, of early in your, in your child's development, you realize, man, this is a huge battle. To get them to be outward focused, man, that's the biggest challenge I have as a dad, is to help my boys treat each other as they want to be treated at, Taking the lower, like, no, brother, you can have the last piece of chicken. That's the last, I think, dinner argument we had was, 
the math didn't, you know, I didn't do it right, right? I didn't get an uh, evenly divided amount of chicken based on how many mouths there are in the, you guys, anyways, that's not here nor there, other than the fact that I didn't get enough. And that's a silly example, but really, when, when the rubber meets the road, I'm doing the same thing. And, I'm, and, I, and I love Jesus. So powers of darkness are just going to feed on that, right? If, you're not, if you don't have any other force in your life that's, that's like Christ, that's saying, no, it's not about you. You have no option other than to just feed, feed, feed myself. And then when I feed myself continuously, all I do is get big and fat, right? That, 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 that's... If, if I can get my, and I use that obviously metaphorical, what I'm saying is this, is that, is that Christ is freeing us from slavery at his own cost of his own blood so that we could live lives that have been just week after week. Pastor Brian does such an amazing job. I'm so thankful that he gets us focused on not us, but the mission that God has for our lives, which is at the very core about others, about serving them, about loving them. So, so here's the thing. Last night, this really hit me hard. The Lord really convicted me on this, is that we were, we were at a, at a, in a public setting, and, and there were other people around, and we were sitting. We happened to be sitting in some benches, and, and there was a gal didn't know the Lord as evidenced by her speech, and I, I, I've, I've been around her before just to not be surprised at this, but she, she was talking. I was grieved because she was talking to these high schoolers in the company of other adults, and her mouth was just going off with all kinds of F-bombs and and she was talking about some, you know, youth, and it was just how her, her speech was just not helpful, and it was loud. You know, you get, not only did they throw in the bombs out, but it's loud, and it's like everybody sitting there is like, ah, you know, well, not her, but everybody else that, that I was with anyways, and, and I was convicted in this, and I was getting upset at her, like, ah, how could she do that? How could she do that with kids present? How could she, you know, and I was getting like prideful and like, I don't do that, and, and this, not, and the other, but it was like the Lord totally just, you know, he starts getting on you, and when, in those little times of kind of pride recreeps in, and he's like, you know what, you don't get mad at somebody in prison, <laughs> you get mad at who's at fault, right, which, yes, is them, her, but she's getting ripped off by those who she's serving unknowingly, right, I'm getting mad at the enemy for ripping her off to not know that there's a better way of living, and it's actually more satisfying, Instead of being all negative and throwing this complaint and that complaint out and all my rules, this and that and the other, it's like, man, I want to, I'm getting angry at the enemy for ripping her off. Not for being who she is. That's just a byproduct of the whole condition. And the Lord is like, you know what, James, you can't have pride like that. You've been saved, not by your own works. So don't boast. Don't let those things creep in your heart and start getting upset at people. That's why we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6, right? We, We wrestle against these principalities and powers. So who am I getting mad at? It's not about me. It's all for him. Uh, you know, who gets better than Piper when you start talking about everything's for him, right? So I'm just going to quote him. You can go to the next slide. Uh, most amazingly, perhaps of all, everything exists for him. Now this is out of his uh, message on, on this passage. From the bottom of the oceans to the top of the mountains, everything exists for Jesus. Nothing in the universe exists for itself. You exist to make Christ look great. I didn't do that very well, sorry. I, it's not, I can't yell. I try sometimes, I can't do it. 
I'm not no Ben Potter or Nick Weber or Brian even. You, sorry, I'm getting distracted. Nothing in the universe exists for itself. You exist to make Christ look great. Is there a better path for your life than to do that? If you're making Christ look great, your life is so incredibly rich and full. Because why? Because you're going to be doing and looking like and having the heart motivation that the Savior did because of his work in you internally to bring that about. And that, that is amazing. So does that sky, so do the trees. Everything exists for Christ. Not that he needs it, but that it displays his glory. Everything exists and will serve the glory of Jesus Christ, whether they know it or not. Every knee will bow and acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Christ is overall. Why? Number seven, Christ holds all things together. Verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. You know, the, down to the very atom, you guys, if Christ were to take his, uh, so to speak, attention away from life, we would have utter chaos. Um, you know, scientists, I was reading about atomic glue holding things together in, that, in the basic nucleus of the atom and whatnot. And it was just, you know, I was like way beyond me as far as intellectual pursuits, but... And discussions, but it was amazing to think, wow, Lord, you know, come down to it. Even physical science holds together because you, you know, you don't miss anything. Um, number eight, why? Why is that was him wanting to make sure you're not falling asleep? No. Home, home stretch here. Christ is overall. Why? Christ is the head of the church's body, verse 18. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. When it says Christ is the head of the church, uh, I heard it put well, that he is like a fountainhead. He is the one the, the, the river develops out of. He is the one who is the source of the church. Not just the lead, but the source where you get your sustenance from. Christ is overall. Why? Number nine. Christ is the first to rise after death, never to die again. We have hope even in death that we will rise again as our Savior did. Is there a body to be found? Is there a grave to be found with a body in it that has Jesus written on it? Jesus the Christ, no. He's alive. Even in death, Christ has preeminence. Christ has victory. Christ is the head. Christ is owning you. Don't be afraid of death, you guys. I think Christ knows that we're going to be afraid to die. I mean, I'm not really looking forward to it myself. Um, But here's the thing. The bigger truth is, it's just a door. Now, if you're still in the dominion of darkness, you have, this is where it gets really sobering. For those who haven't come to humble their need to Jesus, and I would implore you, if you don't have that assurance that Jesus is your Savior, because you've humbled yourself before him and asked him to really own you, where your will comes in alignment with his will, if that hasn't happened yet, The future after death is one of condemnation and wrath. Because why? Not because he takes pleasure in the the destruction of the wicked, but but because there's, there's no solution for your sin. The solution that was paid on the cross is the only is the only solution, capital T, for our sin. So if you say, No, I don't need that, or I'm not interested, thank you very much, God. I'd rather have this, that, and the other then he's not going to overcome that will and say, Okay, I'm going to force myself on you, because that's not what love. He's already extended such an invitation 
why would he need to extend another one? Okay? But if the glorious truth for Christians, Christian being after Christ, our head, is that in you there's life, and I'm in you, and I can't be destroyed. And that there's no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus, according to Paul's letter to Romans. Number 10, Christ is overall why, and we're almost here, almost done. Christ reconciled us back to himself, verse 20. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his Christ, or through his cross. You, you hear that over and over again, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Why would Paul repeatedly say that? Why, guys? Because we just see what's in front of us, right? We forget there's this whole other story going on. Right now, as we sit here, there is a principality and powers battle going on, raging for our souls. That's the, that's the crux of what the reality is that we can't see. And, and he's saying here that he's taken all things and reconciled himself, uh, them to himself. All things. All things are going to be put right one day. The, the, the crush of the enemy's head has already occurred. The fullness of everything being made right is to come. Why is that? Because if he made everything right now, there would be a lot of people, right, that would be outside that making everything right. Because that would mean my soul and your soul and everybody else's, everything being put right. The, the, the repercussions therein basically comes to this truth, that God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to everlasting life. That's grace, Right? So one day we'll all be right, and we will see whether it's invisible, visible, principalities, powers, the cell, cancer's going to be gone, your heartache from people rejecting you and, and taking off when they should have been there. All those things are going to be done, and that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's what's to come. That's the glorious truth to come. So not only do you get to live Jesus' way because he's come and invaded your soul and transformed your life, but you also get this wonderful truth that says one day we're going to be face-to-face with our Savior, who even though it was preeminent, even though it was the head of the church, even though it was God, the image of God, the very uh, icon of God in our midst, dwelling, given his, his life for us, we will see him and be with him forever and ever and ever. And there's no one greater in love, power, authority, might, gentleness. Uh, you've never seen a better greeter. You've never seen a better host. You've never seen a better servant. You've never seen a more faithful person to your soul. You've never seen anybody say, I love you with the power that you're going to see one day face to face with the Savior. Ever. Now, if you don't have Christ this morning, I would just say with everything in me, with every authority in the word of God, to say all it takes to have these truths be yours. And there's no fine print. There's no catch. There's no, hey, by the way, you're going to have to do this later. It's just simply... What is a miracle, as described before in, in a couple messages ago, the miracle is this, not just getting healed of a disease, but for somebody to actually say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bow my knee. And, and my, my, uh, my fight to have control over my life, it, it's over. And it's not going to be perfect and it's not going to be pretty all the time, and I'm going to fail, and I'm going to feel like a hypocrite more often than not, probably, but what I have, it's yours, because I know with this description as Paul gives it, there's no misunderstanding now that you're the one who's preeminent, not me. You created me. You hold me together. You have mercy and grace upon me. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to be king so that I don't have to serve 
a harsh slave master anymore. I want your kingdom. I want your way of doing things. I want your faithfulness to rule the day. I want your forgiveness from my sin. I want you to make things right that I've struggled to make right myself for years and can't do it. Please, God, have mercy on me. It's not the pride-filled people that get saved. It's the humble, broken, can't-look-to-heaven people. And when you do get saved, like me, God convicts you when you want to go the other direction and say, well, now I can be prideful. No, we can't. We just get more grateful and thankful. So the gospel is truth. It stands secure in the historical, internal Jesus, his sacrificial death and resurrection, and we as children rest in his complete supremacy and other, utter sufficiency. Amen? We have the worship team come up. And Lord willing, we've been to the top of Mount Everest, so to speak. Now, guys, sorry, I'm trying to find a place where it doesn't feedback, but now, you guys, if we're at the top of Mount Everest, so to speak, observing this view, again, I haven't been to the top, but I imagine if you're on the top of Mount Everest and you're looking out at the panoramic where everything is below you and you're like, man, this is crazy, you take pleasure in the view, don't you? You glory in the view. You make much of the view. You take pictures of the view and Instagram it right away if they have internet up there, which they probably do because, you know. Guys, let's enjoy the view of Christ right now, okay? Let's worship him with what's inside coming out. Who cares what your voice sounds like? That's secondary, isn't it? It kind of seems silly right now to think about. I care about my voice more than anything else and how I look to other people or sound. Let's, let's all stand. Let's all rise. And let's all worship. And hey, guys... Guys, real quick. I want to pray specifically. Have you guys pray with me right now for anybody who's not secure in their salvation. So it's not based on our works. It's based on the free gift of grace that's described today. So pray with me. And if you're one of those people and you need to talk, there's going to be people over here to pray with afterwards. They would love to pray with you, especially if it's this prayer, God have my will. I'm done running. I want to come to you. If that's you, don't be, where, I'd be, I'll be over there just cheering you on and as will everybody else in this room that knows Jesus, right? So there's people over there if you need a prayer, if you need prayer, if you want to pray with someone. And meanwhile, let's, with passion in our hearts, just worship the Lord. Jesus, we want to just submit our hearts to you and just ask for you to have mercy on us as we um, struggle at times, God, with pride and with not giving you the revealed Christ, the platform by which you deserve to be glorified. And, uh, and God, we pray for each and every person, Lord, if there's someone who's saying, yeah, that's, that's not me, I'm not a Christian, I need Jesus, I, 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 maybe even before they came in today, Lord, you, they didn't even know how, anything about what we talked about. Move in their hearts. And uh, so as we worship with these last couple songs, just encourage you, if you need prayer, to go to the side. If not, just, just worship the Lord with passion in our hearts thankfulness.